Raising the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Association of Gray's Inn Students. Hello and welcome to the Raising the Bar podcast with me, Alana Hughes. I'm here tonight at Gray's Inn on a cold, dark, blustery February evening. We have survived two storms um, in recent weeks. First we had Storm Kira, then we had Storm Dennis, and hopefully now we will finally be able to look forward to the springtime at Gray's Inn. So it's time to introduce my guest. My guest tonight is someone who has been at the helm of the education department now for the best part of two decades, and it's our very own Director of Education, Quinn Clark. Hello, Quinn, and welcome to the Raising the Bar podcast. Thank you for having me, Alana. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. A little nervous, but uh, it's lovely to be here. Thank you. Good. So you joined the Inn in 2004, and it's now come time for you to depart. And so this is a special episode, which we dedicate to you, a reflection of everything that you've done here, um, a discussion of what's changed since you first arrived, what you hope will change in the future after you leave, and some special tributes from friends of mine who have had kind words to say about you. So, Quinn, you grew up in the United States of America. Do you want to tell me a little bit about your early life? Okay. Um, I was adopted from Ireland by uh, American parents and um, uh, grew up in Concord, Massachusetts, which is the, uh, uh, many of our listeners may know, the seat of the Revolutionary War. So sorry about that, everyone. Um, My mother was uh, a nurse um, and later became an anesthetist, but when I was small, um, she had a nursing home. My father was a a small one, Uh, and my father was an electrician. And of the uh, generation uh, of of men and uh, women who knew how to fix absolutely everything, so he would finish the day job and come and take care of everything at the nursing home, which was um, uh, on the property where we lived. I lived there my first growing up, well, in Massachusetts until um, I went to university in Michigan, which was actually much to my mother's chagrin. She wasn't too happy about that, but I stayed in Michigan. And my um, first job, my first summer job there was uh, breaking and training horses, which was uh, quite uh, quite an interesting thing to have done for a little while. Uh, I stayed in Michigan, um, had a small business there in my 20s, so I'm good for a decade apiece. So Grayson has been a long stint for me um, uh, in, in construction work uh, as a subcontractor. And then um, decided I probably should go back to uh, college, university, and finish it all off, which I did. Um, I received a master's in linguistics uh, and trained as a a sign language interpreter. Uh, I I became nationally certified to do that, which I loved and and paid the bills and and got me through um, my education. So I did that all the way through, and that led to uh, an appointment uh, at a state university in Michigan where I developed a sign language teaching curriculum for the university and, and, and was their official interpreter for quite a long time. So that's where I started and ended up in two different states, first and second growing up. There's a lot of different varied sort of jobs and activities going on there. If your background with your parents is medicine and engineering, science backgrounds. How on earth did you end up 
ingrays in from that? Yeah. Well, if anyone listens to this that uh, has, has knows me at all, please don't be bored with this story. Uh, I had two jobs. I was working full-time. I was a, a professor, actually, full-time at a, at a university in Michigan, and I had another full-time job um, teaching uh, English as a second language at a seminary for Polish men um, in Michigan. So there you are. Try to work that one out. I leave it to you. Okay. So what brought me here? I, I was teaching at the seminary too. We, uh, we, there were four teachers, and we had developed uh, uh, an English um, language curriculum. And new administration came in, and they wanted to cut the budget and change quite a bit of that. And we were not pleased. We didn't think that that was to the benefit of the, of the students. And so I was becoming a bit unsettled with that. And it was a choice of... Um, make up that job elsewhere, because as a full-time professor, it wasn't like you're, you know, making bags of money, so you have to survive financially. Uh, and so there was that, and also um, I was early 40s and thinking, hmm, do I want my photographs to look the same when I'm 50? I'd always wanted to live in a metropolis, I'd always kind of wanted to live in another country, and so I decided I would um, change and just um, move. And so I did, and I came here, and my university was very generous. They gave me um, a leave of absence, which they actually extended another year. And uh, I came here and got some contractual work, which was quite funny, temporary work. Uh, let's see, I, I had one job where I was um, a, a secretary at Legal in general, which is really funny, and when, and when the poor lady came back to take her job back, I had written a handbook on how I thought she might want to think about doing stuff, which I'm sure she didn't appreciate. And I, I had a contract with uh, Barclays on the um, Sarbanes-Oxley program, anti-money laundering back then, which I was amazed that I got a, such a job. But it was a very clear lesson to me that not on your life to, uh, did I want to work like that. It, it was a cog in the wheel. I didn't, you know, you didn't... Spreadsheets, which I do have a fetish for spreadsheets, I have to say, but this was, you didn't really understand how you fit into anything. This was too far. Yeah, it was too far. The money was great, though. So that kept me going over. At the time, the exchange rate, I think, US to, uh, to pound was something like 197. So um, it, was, it was a tricky time, and I was not 18. So, you know, you have your needs at a little bit later age. So this job uh, came available. I applied. And one of the things that I find so funny about it is uh, there was only one thing on my list, one, which is quite bad, I suppose, slightly immature. But anyway, one thing on my list uh, that I wanted when I moved here uh, to work, which was to be something that could not be repeated or was not repeated anywhere in the U.S. that was going to be unique and potentially quintessentially English. So uh, when I landed this job, I could not believe it. It was, it was kind of like a Pablo Coelho moment. You know, the universe um, just conspired in my favor. You know? and, I, and I think maybe the transferring skills, what, the, the transferring skill was probably that I had developed curriculums before because I had no background in law, maybe dated a lawyer or two, but that was about it. Had no background in that. But I, I did have significant background in uh, developing programs. So I think that might have been it. Well, quintessentially English mm. definitely sums up Grey's Inn. Yeah. There are only there are only four of us, of course, four inns. Yes. We're not replicated anywhere else in the world that I know yeah. of. Um 
And I think how quintessentially English justice system this place is, was definitely an attraction even for me coming from Northern Ireland. We yeah. don't yeah. have anything like Greys at home. Um, there's the Bar Society, but but it's really not a home to students and no. barristers and judges and benchers the way that Greys Inn is. Yeah, um, similarly or, American Inns of Court, but they're not, it, it's not They're the just same. not the same, exactly. Yeah. So... You definitely find probably, I mean, there, it being only one of four, it's one of the most unique jobs in the country. You could go so far as to say, you know, across the globe in terms of within yeah. um, the legal world. So would you be able to discuss with me exactly what the demands of your role are and what being the director of education here involves? I hope so. Now, in 2020, I could categorize the delivery, I suppose, of the education department um, into uh, outreach for schools, mainly sixth form and uh, university as well. There's a lot there where we offer advice to students on their aspirations, on their CVs. We give look at their pupillage applications. We set them up to, to with a mentor, uh, set them off to meet someone who can, you know, have a, a an honest and direct but compassionate kind of conversation about what the plans are. Uh, if they're at the pupil stage, we're looking at um, trying to get them through a stage that's quite vulnerable, or where they are quite vulnerable, uh, and and so on. So there's professional development there. Goes on to CPD as well, I suppose. Scholarships, the ins. Uh, this in and the others too give uh, a lot of money in scholarships, and I don't think a day goes by in the office where the word scholarship doesn't come up. We are constantly talking about those, and then education and training. So it's developing and delivering a, a portfolio of of qualifying sessions which students undertake, pupil training new practitioner training, and then um, thereafter, CPD. You talked about scholarships. They really stick out as the lifeblood, probably, that runs through the inn because so many members wouldn't be here if it weren't for having been awarded one um, when they were trying to enter the profession, and they really are the key that open the gates. Um, and I suppose because of that, you must be proud of, of how the inn has progressed and how many scholarships it awards and how financially substantial those scholarships are because every person that is awarded a scholarship from this inn, their their life is, is really truly changed and they go off on a trajectory that perhaps was not possible for them before that. So it's quite it's quite a, a significant part of your work, but but rightly so. Yeah, I... Yes, I, I think the inn itself should be very proud of that, and and the members too. We refer to it on our website. We've we've come to the conclusion that the best thing to say about it is it's a bit of a circle of membership. So you're sitting here with me, and and you had a scholarship, and you've now taken on another area of work that supports the inn and helps the inn, and um, I won't be here, but my successor will be knocking on your door in due course saying, Alana, would you think about coming in training, uh, maybe be, be an advocacy trainer, or would you interview for scholarships, or could you give career advice? And it all goes around, and uh, I'm 
I sit on our management committee, um, about 24 members in total, and I look around the table and I think not all of people are former scholars, but everyone has benefited from what the inn has done uh, in the past, and it's brought that individual around um, to actually manage and see the in into the future. And I think that's it's great to be a part of that. Very important to be a part of it. There's a real sense of helping others up the ladder behind you at this end, I feel. Mm. And in trying to get success for yourself, you're constantly re reminded and, and remembering that when it comes to the time that you can enjoy your success, you've got to put your hand on yeah. and help everybody else up because otherwise it would it, it would end at yeah. some point and it has to continue on and it has done so in that cycle for a long long time now for a very long time uh, since the beginning you know when the uh, floor and hall was sawdust and you had the great big uh, stove in the middle which i think is now in the city of york i mean it, it was the same they throw out the lawyer's question and everyone would debate that and those who weren't practicing would be there to to learn and maybe we do things in a more modern fashion now, but um, the message is basically the same. And if you were to ask me what I think is top on the list for, for this end and the other ends too, it would be that pro bono aspect, that, that reaching out and helping those who are following you. I could be wrong or maybe I'm not, world tra not well traveled enough, but I just don't see that happening anywhere else. And I, and I think it's a, a unique feature of this place that um, has driven me and made, made me really love it here. So I have to ask, what are your favorite and least favorite aspects of the job? Uh, report writing is my least favorite aspect of the job. Uh, meetings, I don't really care for those all that much either, even though they are essential and necessary. Management committee is fabulous because it's very short and, and you get things done. And if you don't read your papers in advance, everyone knows. So it's, it's super, but we produce a, a massive amount of work across the departments at the inn. And, um, and uh, sometimes I would just like to get on with producing as opposed to talking about producing. And so that leads me to what is my favorite thing. Um, it would be having the capacity to develop new ideas and, and liaise with, with members and see what their thoughts are and see what we can do differently to make it, to make it happen. And I, and I think that we have progressed quite far um, over the time that I've been here. Um, and also, I mean, the, the favorite thing will, will definitely be the relationship with the members because we, we're, not, we're going nowhere without that. And, and uh, that's been, well, it's been a, a, a privilege and, and a delight actually to have been able to be with someone when they're, you know, 21 in my office and sort of crying about something or upset about something or, to, or you know, um, excited and delighted about what they want to do. And then seeing them however many years around uh, down the road, which does make me think about my age, but nevertheless, uh, becoming a, a recorder or a pupil supervisor or, or, or moving on. So, yeah, it's great. I sense from what you've just said that you don't really like to think about your age, but now I'm going to really make you think about your age. Yeah, I'm not telling you my age. <laughs> we're, going, <laughs> we're going to talk about just how long you've been here by contextualizing just how long ago 2004 was when you arrived. So I've done some research and found some fun facts from 2004 that might just help um, bring home just how long you've been here. 
So I'll start by telling you that the average house price in London when you arrived was £273,000. Shocker. And 73, actually affordable, yeah. you know? Zero interest, too. Like people could actually buy a house in 2004. I wish I would have got in on the bottom line on that scandalous Imagine activity. that. Yeah. Do you want to know what it is now? 629. £629,000. And I tell yeah. you, salaries have not increased. No. And scholarships. <laughs> uh, so the biggest selling songs in 2004, we have DJ Casper, Cha Cha Slide. Outcast, Hey Ya, and The Killers, Mr. Brightside, which are all anthems to this day. Killers, love that one. Those are still played regularly on radio, regularly in <laughs> nightclubs. Um, they, they've remained, you know, as relevant now as they were then. Staying power. In film, we had Shrek 2, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and the Christmas classic, The Polar Express, oh, yeah. enjoyed by many. Nikki's over here in the corner, and she says she watches the that one every year. And I do as well. The hot chocolate on the train. It's fantastic. In 2004, we had the first ever series of Strictly Come Dancing, which was won by Natasha Kapinski with oh, Brendan yeah. Cole, who has since left the show actually as a professional dancer, but the show very much still remains. I was at the live tour actually in the O2 a few weeks ago. I'm a big Strictly fan. It was, it was very... When are you going to... Um... Well, I just need to get famous enough to get on it. <laughs> so that's really my aim. What can I do? You know, write a book. I don't know if they still do it now. There was um, uh, uh, lawyers kind of strictly come dancing. Well, Rob, and Rob I, and I remember one of our benches, I think it was Kim Hollis, was, was uh, engaged in that at one point. This is several years ago now, but I always thought it was a gas. It was a great thing to do. I think Judge Rinder was on Strictly Come Dancing a few years back. Yeah. He's <laughs> got celebrity status. Yeah. yeah, he definitely was. I remember he he was. So he's kind of tech. I think, you know, there's always one person that can do it. So it'll have to be a long time before they have another barrister on or they'll be like, since when have barristers become celebrities? It's probably not great for the reflection on the profession and our ethical code. But um, so quite significantly as well, in February 2004, Mark Zuckerberg actually launched Facebook from his dormitory room at Harvard. And Facebook has since gone on to consume Instagram and WhatsApp yeah. and Snapchat. Changed the world. And essentially the internet. I mean, Facebook is pretty much social media and social media is pretty much the internet as we know it. It's completely changed communication. Oh, yes. Which uh, is, I mean, what you... Imagine, it's, a, yeah, speed of light. The world now is is beyond recognition from, from what it was in 2004 in relation to mass information, mass media, how we share information, how much information we can consume. You know, life just seemed to be an awful lot simpler then. But um, I was eight, so I don't really have that much <laughs> memory of it, not to make you feel very, very old. But anyway, so that contextualizes 2004. But for you, what do you think have been the biggest changes between then and now at Grey's? Well, um, technology, I mean, no profession, no, no institution, organization is going to be um, able to say anything different than what I say now, which is it has been at the speed of light, the progress for that, and trying to keep up with that and make sure that what we're doing is, is as relevant as possible has been a, a challenge, which we've embraced, but, um, but it's been a challenge. So I would say that has uh, has uh, pushed the greatest change for the inn. The way that we 
deliver or potentially view our education and training when it comes to students has been a big, there's been a big change since I first came. So there, there may be listeners who had to do 36 qualifying sessions and walk in barefoot in the snow and couldn't leave hall during dinner and all sorts of horrible things. When I, when I arrived, uh, there were 12, and there still are 12, soon to be 10, uh, that one needed to complete. But all of them, almost all of them, um, were fulfilled by possibly a lecture, but in most cases not. Uh, you could moot and watch somebody moot, or you could just go to dinner or go to lunch and, you know, pay your very highly subsidized fee and drink port and, and go home. Now, um, that's not to discount the value of those sessions, though, because it was about meeting other people who are going to be in the profession and you're in a self-employed, by and large, this isn't accounting for the employed bar per se, but you're in a, a self-employed profession, uh, which I think can be quite lonely, um, and it's a chance for you to meet uh, those you're going to practice with. If you aren't yet in practice, it's a chance for you to, to, to meet people who might be able to help you and give you opportunities. So there's nothing to say uh, those particular that particular style of qualifying session was was bad, but the educational element did need to be developed and uh, it was required. And so that's been the biggest change is that a qualifying session isn't uh, isn't about you eating dinner. And also, you know, it, it did I did pay a price on the waistline too for all the dinners, but uh, it's about uh, combining those two things so that you walk away from one of those sessions and you feel that you've got something that's helped you either to learn or develop a skill, and, and you've been able to meet someone, have a chat, get some advice, things like that. So it's a big change. And then, of course, uh, curriculums, we, the curriculum itself, we've developed and tried to combine or to, to put it across so that we're starting at the student level, and then by the time you get to the new practitioner level, if you're one of our members, it actually makes sense to you. And we're not repeating at new practitioner level something you might have done at student level. So that's one. Um, I think the introduction of more recently of, of uh, well-being and resilience is, is important. Where I don't think that we're particularly quick on that, on the uptake, because I think our mentality was that we do care about well-being. So do we need to run around waving a, a well-being flag? And I, and I don't think that we do. But we have become more conscious um, of the effort that actually does need to be made, you know, the, the, the reaching out to an individual. We've always recognized that the student, the pupil, is in an incredibly vulnerable position. If you're not happy about something, it's quite difficult to, to voice that. Um, if you're in practice and you're in self-employed practice, across the hall, your, your, com your competitor could be in the room across the hall from you. Um, what do you do? Who do you talk to? Um, so I think well-being has become important for the inn, and, and, I, and I'm quite pleased to see that, you know. And resilience, how, how, do we, how do we cope with those sorts of things? And then, of course, now we've tried to, you know, bite the uh, technology bullet. So we've done lots of videos for our website. We've uh, updated our website. We've definitely stopped with the photographs of, of the landscape and buildings and brought people into the picture because the place just won't run without the people, and started talking about what we really do here. I think the fault of the four inns for a very long time um, has been that we deliver a huge amount, but nobody knows. 
And so I think our, our recent marketing project and uh, the changes to the website, the video, have helped a huge amount with that. And then, of course, we hired members into the education department who had a bit of background in um, technology and education technology. And so we've been able to start live streaming things, bring our students and, and pupils and NPs who are on circuit in, into the inn, which I think is great. And I'm very pleased and proud of that. So just lots. And go on and on. Yeah, and everything <laughs> everything that you've talked about, I've I've definitely had experience of coming through the inn, so that means it's working, you know. That's I've great. come through the inn as a student um, in very recent years, and my own qualifying sessions were a lovely mix of dinners, which are very important. I really enjoyed them. I, I did thoroughly enjoy sitting down beside a stranger and getting to know them over dinner. It's There's something very intimate about it that's really lovely. And then at the end of the night, you just leave. and But you've got that little bit of familiarity with that person for a long, long time. And if you yeah. ever bump into them again, you know, oh, I'm going to sit beside yeah. you. Look. And they're a fellow member. Exactly. So and it's also the idea that somebody, um, not everybody's used to an environment like this. I mean, when I came here, I'd never seen anything quite like it ever, anywhere. And uh, you could, I could understand how it might be very, very intimidating for someone starting out. And of course, the bar or the inns maybe have this reputation of being, you know, elitist. And uh, you know, only if you're an Oxbridge um, uh, graduate will you ever get a place in, or will you fit in? And that's not true. And it's just not been true since I've been here. And I, th I, I think it's very important to do something like a dinner or to, uh, students have certainly eaten their fair share of canapes as well because we have those sorts of uh, collegiate elements too. But to do something where they can come into an environment like this and, um, and uh, make a mistake, work out what their place is. Nobody's testing them. Nobody's writing anything down. It's not about how well you do or how well you perform. It's about maybe being able to self-reflect after and say, well, okay, uh, I was so nervous coming in, later on left, okay, that, you know, that wasn't so horrible, wasn't so scary. And, I'm, you know, again, that's not to say that uh, there aren't the scary moments for somebody, but it's helping to them to become more familiar and comfortable in something that they didn't know before. And the website is really fantastic. Yeah, I it, like it too. It's very good. And I also did one of the little videos, the Meet Our Members series that is ongoing with the videos and you get to talk about things that you've done and what the what the end means to you. And it just adds, as you say, let's put people in pictures, let, let's move away from landscapes. But as soon as you have someone speak about their own personal experience, it, it just opens it up on a much different level yeah you know it yeah. just makes it so much more relatable and open for people who previously might have thought no never in a million years is that somewhere that I'm ever going to fit in I agree with that I think it's made it really human and it's been terrific for us for our department to be able to be part of that to have our communications um, staff come and say well can you recommend or do you have anybody in mind and bring those people together from all walks of life and everything, all different areas of practice, all ages, you name it, to just get around and talk about what what actually really goes on here. Yeah, super. I, I'm, yeah, I'm very pleased with the website. Indeed, and I think the member members' presence on social media as well. So, like you know, having it in your your bio on Twitter that you're a member at Gray's Inn or a scholar at Gray's Inn, and people do message you. You know, people do find you if you're retweeted by the Inn and things like that. And then they might message you and say, "Oh, I noticed that you're a member. Would you mind giving mm. me some 
tips or advice for my upcoming scholarship interview. And that's what we're here for. You know, it's what we were talking about earlier. You've got to help others and you can do that immediately. Yeah. As soon as you have any insight whatsoever into the workings of the inn, you can always help someone yeah. who has no clue. Because at one time, I had no clue. And everyone yeah. starts from having no clue. No clue. Someone, and, and it's, it's less, uh, less um, prescriptive in a way, isn't it? Because if someone, uh, we had a mixed mess the other night and, and one of our benches came back and said, oh, uh, that was really terrific. Thank you. I really enjoyed it in this way, that way, and the other way. And we then tweeted that. And that led to someone who's not a member, well, saying, what's that about? And it was a member who could respond to that. It wasn't a member of our staff. It was someone uh, qu quite out of the blue who had attended it and said, oh, you yeah, know, well, this is what it's about. And I think that is, this organization is, exists for the membership. That's what it's about. So if you, um, the more we do to bring the members together, the, well, the better it is. So I wanted to keep it a surprise that you were coming on the podcast tonight. I did want to maintain the surprise element to having Quinn grace us on the podcast. But I did manage to get the information that I wanted to get out of certain people without telling them that you were coming on the podcast. I phrased right. it that Scary. We, I was working on a project for Quinn. And if you had to say really nice things about Quinn, what would you say? So I've edited out all the bad stuff. Thank you. Just kidding. <laughs> there was nothing bad. These tributes have come in about your work, um, about you the things that you've done and how you have impacted on people like me, my friends, um, students, young barristers at the inn. So I'll read some of them out. Quinn was as dedicated to the inn as anyone could be. Most importantly, she was dedicated to students. She always took the time to chat with us. She remembered faces. She was someone who I knew I could depend on if I had an issue. Quinn made Gray's Inn a welcoming and inclusive place. I owe her an enormous debt of gratitude for her unfailing support and encouragement. Quinn opened up a profession that I had mistakenly believed was closed to me. Her dedication to students and unwavering friendliness will be sorely missed. Quinn goes out of her way to help and support students. She encouraged us all to contribute to the inn and was a strong supporter of our ideas and projects. There are countless events and initiatives that would have gotten nowhere without her guidance and backing. And those are just from three people. So you can imagine when it comes to your leaving party, how many people are going to want to say so much. We're going to be there all night listening to tributes. But I hope in hearing I'm that, touched. I, I hope in, in hearing that it really solidifies for you just how much of an impact you, you do have and you have had on, on so many people's lives and early careers. And I know even from my own personal experience, when I applied for scholarships and you were sitting by your phone every day waiting on the email, coming back to tell you whether or not you got an interview, to tell you whether or not you got you were successful. And the, the email came from scholarships at Grayson, but it was you, your name was on the bottom. But I, I didn't know who you were. I just know, <laughs> knew that this email was going to come from Quinn and I, I loved Quinn because I wanted it, I wanted all the emails from Quinn. Um, my mum and dad, even at that stage, has Quinn emailed today? <laughs> have you heard from Quinn today? But they didn't know who you were. And now you've met my mum a few I have times. Met your mom, you yeah. met my dad Lovely. at call in yes. November. And to this day, you know, when I told them that you were leaving us and when I told them that you were coming on the podcast to speak with me, they feel like they know you. You know, they feel like they have a debt of gratitude to you for what you've done um, for me. And I, I can tell you that every single person in this inn knows just how much you've done 
for us all. And I am just so glad that I was a student when you were director of education. I don't know who's coming after you, but they've got big, big boots to fill. <laughs> so that's just that small part, um, which I hope shows you just how much you, you, you mean to all of us at the inn. Um, Can I say something about that? Yeah. Uh, I'm really touched by that. I'm, you know, thank you. Um, you know, not to get too too mushy about the whole thing, but um, the people that uh, I have on my mobile phone, GDPR be damned, I suppose, um, whose numbers I have, uh, uh, who range from students all the way to um, Court of Appeal, uh, and I ring them, text them, send them emails in a panic, saying, we're doing this thing tomorrow night or tomorrow morning or next week, or please, can you help? Can you, can you see this student? Would you interview this uh, student in a mock interview? Would you come and train? Um, that's been the greatest joy. And so when a student, uh, these people that you've, you've quoted here, say what they say, it's... Um, I'm so pleased and thank you, uh, but I don't do that by myself. Do you know what I mean? All those people have been behind and that's been the, the real joy of all of it. It's been great. You've essentially been a commander in chief of an army of barristers and judges who, who collectively are responsible for the mechanism that is the, the in and how it works. But I think your uh, command at, at the helm of that is definitely poignant for everyone and, and you're you are the person that we all know who is in charge of keeping the cogs running and, and keeping it all keeping the engine ticking over so thank you finally then Quinn I know that you plan now to return to the states mm-hmm. and so can you tell me a little bit, bit about any projects that you have in the pipeline that you're hoping to explore yes I was thinking that I would do nothing for a little while and then decided um, maybe I should consider my own behavior and how wise it is for me to be idle for any lengthy period of time and get myself into trouble. So I, so I decided not to do that. Uh, I'm looking into um, the thing, some of the things that I like very much about, have always liked about this work, which is outreach and scholarships and membership um, activity and such. So I've been looking at um, universities that are quite local to where I'm going to be and um, some international uh, universities have international connections too because I will miss London in terms of diversity. I'm going to a place that's far more homogenous and, I, and it'll be um, quite an adjustment, I think. So I'm looking at that, uh, seeing how I might engage with that. Um, I'm trying to... I'm, I'm considering what courses I might need to take because I, I might need to be, um, be actually formally taught. Um, but uh, in grant writing because I would quite like to open uh, or run something like uh, Cumberland Lodge, but do that in Michigan. Um, there, there would be a great appetite for it, and, and I, would, uh, I think that would be super if I could do something like that. And if all of that fails, or as the sideline, um, um, make shoes. I'd like to make shoes, create and make them myself. So. It, it, are, do you find particular problems with the shoes that exist? No, no not necessarily. But um, how much one needs to pay for a proper pair of shoes, I think there is an issue with that. And, and maybe what shoes one person ought to wear as opposed to what shoes another person ought to wear. So there's a bit of that. It's shoe fetish. A shoe fetish. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that concludes our podcast tonight. <laughs> okay. um, there is one thing, though, that has struck me um, in talking to you tonight, and it's a quote that I read a few months ago, and I, I don't know who, who said it, 
but it certainly wasn't me. But the quote is, don't live the same year, year upon year, and at the end of it, call it a life. Yeah. And I think you fit that quote so well because now, you know, you're deciding... You, when you first moved to London, you decided you wanted something completely different. And it seems that you've you've done so many different things and you've certainly not lived the same year, year no, upon year. certainly not. And that's just going to, to change even more now. And so that quote is so fitting for you. And just on behalf of everyone at Grey's Inn, I just want to wish you the absolute best in, in what's to come. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Raising the Bar podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review. And for more information, check us out on Twitter at RaisingTheBarGI.